Welcome to the Overcoming PTSD podcast. My name is Brad Shipke, and today we're talking about the counterattack to panic attacks, anxiety, hypervigilance, jumpiness, shakiness, twitching, all of that stuff. So I'm going to walk you through a three-step plan that we have developed that has not only helped me, uh, but all of our clients find freedom from all of those symptoms. And it's really important to know that the, all of those symptoms, the panic attacks, the anxiety, the hypervigilance, all of those things are fixable. All of those things are healable. And that is something that you need to know because that is one of the main reasons why I do this podcast, why we do this podcast is to show you and to tell people it is possible to heal, that it isn't hopeless. There is a path and to actually give you that path and show you that path. So again, my goal for you is to give you that three-step plan, to give you the mindset, to give you a short-term plan for immediate relief. So I'm gonna give you some actual tools so that you can use to get relief right now immediately. And then a long-term plan to get deep long-term healing. So you heal the problem at the root. And I'm going to go as deep as I can in audio version um, to hopefully con convey how to actually do that. So at least you have a understanding of what you need to do um, and so on. But if you ever feel like this episode will be for you, if you've ever felt like as soon as you wake up, you are just anxious, you're in panic mode and it stays that way for the whole day. Uh, if you have an ongoing constant level of anxiety, just constantly all the time, your heart's racing, your, your, your chest is tight, whatever that looks like to you. Um, or you're just hypervigilant jumpy or like me, even I would have twitches, uh, when I got scared or when I got triggered, my body would literally twitch. Like my hands would twitch, the side of my neck would twitch. Um, things like that. It was pretty bad. And sometimes it's nice to know that other people experience that too. If you are somebody who has experienced experiences that whether it's twitching or hypervigilance or just a extreme, extreme level of anxiety or fear that one, it's a normal reaction to an abnormal event, meaning that it is a normal human reaction that you are not alone, that you are not crazy, that it is a normal reaction for humans when they go through traumatic experiences to have these symptoms. So the symptoms that if you are experiencing these symptoms, they are you know, abnormal in the sense that like, quote unquote, normal people don't have them, but normal in the sense that if like, if a human goes through a traumatic experience, they have these as an outcome. It's also important for you to know that these are all healable. I used to have all of those things and now I don't, I no longer twitch. I, I, this door behind me could slam and nothing would happen. I might like, you know, jump like for a second, but then I might laugh or something. So all of these things is important for you to know, first of all, first of all, that it's, it's 100% possible to heal all of these things. And hopefully that gives you hope. Because in my, in the last, last episode of this podcast, I interviewed one of our clients and one thing he said was like, hope is where it all begins. And it's true. And hopelessness by proxy is where everything ends, where progress ends everything else. And when you really break down hopelessness versus being hopeful about something, hopelessness really comes, comes about from being in a state of not being able to see any options forward. So you, you, you feel stuck. You feel like there's nothing that you can do to improve your situation. So one of my goals here, one is to tell you that, that it's not going to be like this forever to give you hope, right? But also two, to give you paths and tools and, and roadways that you can travel down to actually heal. So you have options to heal. So not only do you have, hopefully I'm embedding you with the, the belief in yourself that you can heal, that it is possible to heal despite whatever all the the quacks and the crazy doctors and the therapists say that you can't heal or you're going to have this forever or that, you know, I was talking to actually I was talking to a therapist the other day and, and, uh, she was saying, I was telling her our methodology and our belief system about how we believe everybody can heal. That doesn't matter what you went through. It doesn't matter what traumas you went through. It doesn't matter how many diagnoses diagnoses you have, 
how many doctors have diagnosed you, how many doctors have told you you're treatment resistant. Our belief, my foundational belief that will never, ever, ever be broken, and I have very good reasons for that, is that all of that is healable. And specifically, if it's from trauma, and most of this stuff is from trauma, if you have trauma in your past, it's 100% healable. How do I know that? I had it myself. My partner had it herself. We have helped thousands of people heal from their trauma. So we have undeniable proof at this point that it is possible to heal. Not in my, like not only in my own life, but in so many other people's lives. And that's just, those are just our clients. There are people who have healed. And I know people who have healed that, um, did not take our program, right? So there's like, there's multiple pathways to healing. You know, you don't have to take our program. Our program is, you know, very effective. Like other people heal my goal. I don't care if you join, you know, if you want to join, that's great. I want to be able to help you. But my goal is just to drill into your mind that it like it is 100% possible to heal. And with that belief, it doesn't matter what happens because you will be able to find a solution to whatever problem you face. And how can I say that? Because I didn't have a pathway, but I believed in myself. I believed that I could get better. I believed in a brighter and a better future for myself and for my family. And I never let that break. I never let that completely shattered. Sometimes I had it was like, I had doubts, right? I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have doubts or days where I was feeling depressed or things like that. But the ultimate goal, I always knew in the back of my mind, even if it was, I was having the worst day of my life. I knew I always had that thread, that, that thread of hope and belief that it could get better. And with that, that's all I needed to persist through the pain to find a way to heal. So that's like, that's one of the biggest things I want you to, to know, because you might be in a situation where you're being told by a quote unquote expert who has three PhDs, 12 PhDs, whatever has been in the field and for decades that it's impossible to heal. And, um, to those people who use PH, I'm going a little rant here, but for, to those people who use a PhD as a line of reasoning to why people can't heal from PTSD, I would say are not using a very solid or intelligent argument. They're using an, an appeal to authority to this piece of paper that they have earned, which is even debatable on how reputable or, you know, powerful or important those things are. Um, but they're appealing to an authority, their PhD to make a point, which like, that is not a way to make an argument. If you want to make an argument, make an argument and then give logical reasons to why that thing is true or not true. Um, so anyways, it's possible to heal your panic attacks. It's possible to heal your anxiety. And that really is the first point, And that's really the first step to healing them and overcoming them. Like maybe you think I'm just ranting here and I'm just going off the handle and whatever, but, um, it's important. It's vital. It's not even just important. It's vital. It's vital for you to believe that you can get better because if you don't believe that you can get better, if you don't believe that you can heal these panic attacks, then you will have them forever. And you will be like most people, most people who have PTSD defend defend the PTSD being impossible to heal. So they defend that argument. Like if you tell somebody and not everybody's like this, like a ton of people, like our client, I, I love, I love the people that we work with because they're not victims. They don't victimize themselves. And I can tell them I can, I can confront their belief system or in a, in a, like a, just a, a normal way where I just questions their certain beliefs and they're able to question their own belief system as well. But there's a lot of people out there. I've talked to a lot of people out there who have um, severe, a severe victim's mentality where they will fight to the death to prove that they have an illness that cannot be healed. And those people are very, very, very hard to help. I would say, I don't know if they're impossible. They're impossible to help until they can believe for themselves or question that belief for themselves, whether or not it's possible to heal. 
but really like the mindset really comes down to that. And, and there really are two groups of people. Like there are the, the victims who, who believe that life has given them a shitty hand and it will be, their life will be shitty for the rest of their life. Right? Like that's what they believe. And you know, like there are reasons for why people believe that. Right. But also I can give you for every, for every bad experience that somebody has experienced, I can give you somebody who has had it worse and has overcome it. And the belief in or excuse that we have in our head is like, oh, they had it easier or they had some, some magical power or some genetic ab- abnormality, which allowed them to have more mental strength and fortitude than me. They were better than me in some case. So they had it easier. Even if they had a harder situation, they were a stronger person and whatever the, the God almighty has granted them a gift that I do not have. And that is, that is the kind of hallmark of the victim's mentality and an argument that I have heard many times before. But the truth is that successful people in general, but in healing are no different than you. And that's a really important thing to to know as well. People who heal are no different than you. They experience the same level of pain or more, right? But they are committed. They believe in themselves. They push through the pain. They confront the hard parts that they don't want to confront. It's just like exercising. Everybody is capable. Everybody is capable of being in fantastic shape, but not everybody does it. Why? Because it's hard. It takes hard work. And there's more to that than the hard work. There's the mindset and the planning and the knowledge behind that. And I would say that the most important thing would be the mindset and the belief in yourself, believing that you can get that way no matter what, because then you'll be able to go through any obstacles or any failures to achieve that goal. But the point being, if you have that mentality, the first group of people who have that victim's mentality, then you will be stuck forever. And my goal for people is to realize that they are in that state. Like if you have ever made excuses for why you are the way you are, or that you're just hopeless, those are both signs that you are stuck and you believe that you're going to be like this forever. And if you do believe that, which I really hope that if you do, you are honest with yourself like right now, like if you can be honest with yourself and say, and accept that you don't believe that it's possible to heal, that is the first step. Acknowledging the reality of a belief that you hold. Because if you deny the reality, and in this case, the reality being the belief that you don't believe it's possible to heal, if you don't confront that, you won't be able to heal because you'll be denying or you will be in denial of reality. And you will go the rest of your life denying that you know, something doesn't exist, but in reality it it is there. So the ability to be brutally honest with what you truly believe is imperative to recovery. I'm likely going to do an episode just on honesty itself because it is that important, but you need to be honest with yourself about what you truly believe. If you don't believe recovery is possible, you need to be able to tell yourself that so you can fix it. And that's really the first step opening up to yourself about whether or not you truly believe it's possible. And just acknowledging that. I mean, sometimes you just want to avoid that because it's painful, but we have to confront the painful realities of our life in order to fix them. If we don't accept the reality, the painful reality, then there's no way we're just denying reality. And then there's no way that we can fix this painful thing. Cause we're just pretending that it doesn't exist anyway. So that's kind of the first group of people, the victims. And this is all, this is all part of the first step of even changing and addressing the anxiety. And I hope that you can see that, that this mindset is imperative right? Because if you don't believe it's possible to heal the anxiety, to heal the panic attacks, whatever it is, you will never heal them. Like that is literally step number one. And maybe step number zero 
is believing that you can even change your beliefs. But that's, that's a discussion for another time. Now, the other group of people are and have a, a different mindset. They're not victims. They are, they take ownership of their life. They take responsibility for their, for their life, for their emotions, for their problems, for the traumas of their past. They don't blame other people. They don't point fingers at other people. They don't blame their parents. They say, yeah, these things happened and it's up to me to fix them. Right. They realize that healing is up to them and that no one will come to save them. That no therapist, no doctor is going to save them at the end of the day. And that's the truth. <laughs> like that is just the pure unvarnished truth. No doctor will save you. No therapist will save you. If you put your hope into a therapist, they might help you, but you will not be empowered with the right mindset or with the right tools to actually address your problems long-term. And you will always be in a dependent relationship with that person until you take the burden of your life on your own shoulders and fix it. And these people also believe that it's not going to be like this forever, that maybe it's this way right now. Maybe I'm having panic attacks right now. Maybe I'm jumping. Maybe I have hypervigilance right now, but it's not going to be this way forever. I believe there's a way. I believe there's a way, even if I don't know there's know the way. They can lean on other people's experiences and find references and find proof for why it is possible to heal. This podcast can be a reason for you or a reference for you for why it's possible to heal. Every person that I interview can be a reference to you on why it's possible to heal. So even though you might not know the exact path forward towards healing, you can still hold the belief that it is possible and that it's not going to be like this forever. And when you believe that, that's when the spark of hope begins. And that's when everything starts to change. Because without hope, there's no forward progress. Because you don't see any paths. So hope is important. But these people also believe that they're worth it, that they're worthy of the work that is required to heal. Because many people who go through trauma you know, maybe no, through no fault of their own, maybe they've been programmed of their families, whatever it is, but they don't believe that they're worthy of the, of even the work that needs to be put in. Like I knew a, a Vietnam veteran who, who had this, this belief so powerful, so powerfully that he refused to get any help for his, his entire life. Um, and he ended up passing away, uh, from diabetes, which was a, uh, preventable thing for him. And, he it was a sad thing to watch, but he would, he basically ate himself to death and from neglect, neglecting himself to death, um, literally because he did not believe he was worthy of getting help from other people or helping himself. And that's the more important thing. Like, do you believe that you are worthy of help from yourself? That's a question. Because are you willing to fight for yourself? Are you willing to walk through hell for yourself? Because that's what you have to do. You have to believe that you're worthy of all of that hard work. I believe you're worthy. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care the things that you did. I believe that everybody is capable of changing. And worthy of peace and healing. But it doesn't matter what I believe. It doesn't. It really doesn't. It matters what you believe. What do you believe about yourself? And again, it's another important part. Another important thing to be, to be honest about with yourself. You know, do, do I believe that I'm worthy to go through this healing process and help myself? Am I willing to help myself? Do I believe I'm worthy, worthy enough to help myself? Cause that might be a reason why you are inflicting self-harm 
and self-harm can be in done in multiple ways. You know, it's not just, you know, physically hurting yourself or whatever. It can also be overeating. It can be binge watching TV or binging video games or drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography or whatever else it is. All of these things can be like a punishment to yourself, even though there's that instant gratification in the beginning, but an avoidance because you don't believe that you're worthy of greater healing. Now that's just one possibility. At the end of the day, we all need to identify why we do the things we do and why don't we do the things we do, which is a great question. Why is my favorite question of all time? Why do I do what I do? Why, do I, why don't I do what I do? And if you actually think through those things, you will identify for yourself the reasons for why you have the behaviors you have and don't have the behaviors that you want to have. That right there, if you just take the time to do that, and again, take responsibility for yourself, take responsibility for your own healing, take healing into your own hands, become an independent healer, Stop depending on other people and stop waiting for other people to save you and start asking these hard questions yourself and really start working through them yourself. You will find your particular answers. The reason why our program works and the things, the work that we talk about here works is because we're not therapists. We're not doing the work for you. We are walking you through problem solving frameworks. We are helping you become independent healers, independent thinkers. Because at the end of the day, you are the best person. You're the only person who can solve your problems. No therapist, I can't, no doctor, nobody else can solve your problems. At the end of the day, you are the one inside of your own head. You are the consciousness inside of your own head. You are the one facing all the emotions and all the problems. And you are the one closest to the emotions and the problems, which means you are the one who is best suited to actually solve those problems. The problem is that most people in their own minds are going into battle unarmed. You are going into a war, a battle of your inside of your own mind, completely unarmed. And most therapists and most doctors are completely fine with you going into your own, the battle of your mind unarmed. They will give you like, okay, let's imagine this. Imagine you're going to war. Imagine you are a, uh, like a Roman, a Roman warrior, right? Where you have the, the big shield and a spear and you're transported for, uh, uh, transferred I transported forward in time to the modern day where modern soldiers have night vision, artificial intelligence, drones, like machine guns, all that stuff. And you have to fight that. That's how most therapists, doctors, specialists, whatever. That's how they, most people are empowering you. They are giving you little pea shooters, uh, to take down a tank, right? It just doesn't work. They, they'll give you breathing exercises or meditation or visualization exercises, which by themselves aren't necessarily a bad thing, but they, those are not processing tools. Those will not heal the root of your problem. They will help you manage and cope. And that's one of the big problems with the current system as, as it is, is they teach you coping mechanisms because their goal is not full healing. Some, some are, there are some great therapists out there, but a lot of them, and you might have this experience yourself. But many of them have the goal of management because they don't believe that recovery is possible. And they believe that telling somebody that recovery is possible is harmful to the individual. They also believe that giving the individual, giving you processing tools to face your past on your own is dangerous. But you know what's dangerous? Going to war unarmed. So they hold the power in their hands. They don't teach you the processing tools. They withhold them for themselves and you go to a therapy session for 50 minutes once a week, and then the other 167 hours during the week, you are left unarmed to fend for yourself. 
to fend against the panic attacks, the anxiety, the nightmares, the flashbacks, whatever your symptom is, you are, you are fighting those unarmed, completely unarmed. So it's important for you to shoulder the responsibility for yourself and not accept that level of treatment anymore to it, to expect and demand a higher level of treatment for yourself from other people, but just from yourself, knowing that you deserve to be educated and to learn the tools that will allow you to heal and fully heal the trauma at the root. Like that needs to be imperative. And you need to have that little chip on your shoulder where you're going in there and you, you want to learn these tools and you want to, you want to solve things because you believe full recovery is possible. It doesn't matter what everybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what everybody else says. It doesn't matter if this person has 12 PhDs and it says, oh my, well, look at all my 12 PhDs. Look how smart I am. I'm obviously right. Cause look at all these PhDs. They reason by authority and not by actual intelligence. It's important for you to take that responsibility and own that. And you can say, no, you can use your own mind and question, question, question the quote unquote expert who thinks they're right. Cause most of those quote unquote experts are just taking regurgitated theory that they learned in learned in school. Many of them have never experienced it. Many, 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 here's another funny, many experts have actually experienced it and are currently experiencing it. AKA they have PTSD currently. And they got into, I've, I've, I've talked to many therapists who are like, I get, I got into therapy because I personally have, have PTSD. And I've talked to clients who have had therapists who still had PTSD. And then I had to tell them, it's like, if you were learning from somebody who still has the problem that you're looking to fix, how do you expect that problem to be solved? If the person that you're learning from has not solved that problem yet, how do you expect to solve that problem? Because all you will ever get from that person is that level of knowledge that, or that level of success that they've achieved. Unless, unless for some reason their, their theory is so good and they're just terrible implementers. Like they, maybe, maybe they're terrible implementers and the theory that they're teaching you is great and you will fully heal but I'd rather have somebody who's actually done it. I mean, in any arena of life, whether it's fitness, health, success, finances, family, I'd rather take advice from somebody who's been successful with it. Anyway, that's the mindset portion. You're worth it. It's not going to be like this forever. It's possible to heal the panic attacks. It's possible to heal the anxiety. It's possible to heal all these things for good, for ever. Meaning, it's possible to never have these ever again. And that is something you need to hear. And that's something that you need to get yourself to believe that it's possible. I can't do the work for you. You got to do it. If you want a little tip on building beliefs, I have a strategy that works exceptionally well, and it's exceptionally, <laughs> exceptionally simple. Um, and there's, there's more complexity to it, but on a very simple, simple level, take a belief that you want to build, write it down every night, and write it down every morning. And if you don't want to write it down, just write it down once and then read it and visualize it. But if you want to build the belief that it's possible for you to recover from PTSD, write that down every night, every morning, visualize it, turn that into a habit. And every time you feel hopeless, go back to that. And when you're reading it or you're writing it in your mind, come up with the reasons for why that's true. Or you can even say, it's possible, to re- it's possible for me to recover from PTSD. I may not know how to do it, but I know that if I never give up, I will be able to do it. And just imagine if you built, you built that belief, you would never give up because you believe that it's possible. You would never give up. You keep going until you succeeded. And that's the foundational belief 
that is required to heal. Now let's talk about the step, the second step, second phase, whatever I'm calling it, which is the short-term game plan to address this anxiety, the panic attacks, yada, 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 whatever you want to call it, hypervigilance, things like that. The short-term strategy to get you immediate relief. Well, there are two parts to the short-term strategy. The first part being minimizing the triggers. And now this applies to panic attacks, anxiety, or any other symptom that you are experiencing. Step number one is kind of damage control. You just want to minimize the number of triggers that you are exposing yourself to. Now, this doesn't mean isolate yourself from life. It doesn't mean stop seeing the people you love. If the people you love trigger you in a small way, it doesn't mean to stop doing bad things or sorry, it doesn't mean to stop doing things that are good for you, but it does mean becoming aware of the things that are triggering you and removing the things that add absolutely no value to your life. For example, if one of your triggers is loud noises, maybe you don't go to a fireworks show. Maybe you don't go to a movie theater that has loud jump scares. Maybe you don't watch horror films. If that triggers you, um, whatever it might be, maybe you don't see particular people who trigger you that don't add much value to your life. And this can be even more extreme. Maybe like I've had clients who have had to cut, cut ties with important people in their life because they realized that their life was so bad because of their family. They had to cut ties with certain family members because, or at least cut communication for, for a period of time with that family member, set up these boundaries with their family member because they were so toxic, abusive, and keeping them in this bad mental state. And they were triggering them constantly. And when you are in this constantly triggered state, it's very hard to heal. It doesn't mean it's impossible to heal, but it makes it a lot, lot harder, a lot harder. So if you can just minimize the triggers, if there are abusive people in your life, ditch them. You don't need them. Easy to say, harder to do. I completely understand that. I know from firsthand experience how hard that is to cut ties with people that you love who are toxic and abusive. That is a topic for another episode. But if you can work towards that goal of removing all of the negative people in your life, it will do wonders for your mental health. I can't even explain to you how much it will help you because it's like night and day. And everybody knows that saying, right? You know the saying, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Who are you spending the most time with? Are they abusive? Are they toxic? Maybe they're not. Maybe you have wonderful people around you, but maybe you have that one person who's just negative, who triggers you. That doesn't add any value to your life and you can just cut them off and it won't, it'll be an easy thing. But anyway, step one is minimizing the triggers. A good way to do this is I would take out a piece of paper, a legal pad, a pad, a journal, and just write down top of the paper. What are all my triggers? Go, make a line, make a long list of whatever it is, and then go item by item. And ask yourself, can I eliminate this or can I alleviate this, right? Can I eliminate this or is there a way to, for me to reduce the intensity of this trigger? The goal being to eliminate as many as you possibly can and then coming up with a plan to alleviate it for the rest of them. Now, that might seem like a lot of work to come up with a plan to alleviate with the rest of them, but I will simplify it for you. <laughs> for all the triggers that you can't avoid in life, because there will be triggers that you cannot avoid, Maybe you are driving down the street and somebody honks their horn and it makes you jump. It's like, you cannot control other people. You cannot control the weather. If there's a thunderstorm, you can cannot, you cannot control 
the majority of things that happen in your life, you can't even really control your body. There are things that are happening in my body that I don't even, I have absolutely no control over, right? The only thing that I have control over is my mind, right? And while I have it, the functioning, the functions of my, my body and actions that I take. But at the end of the day, it's, it's what I control in my mind. So learning to, 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 to accept those things that you cannot change. So those triggers that you can't, can't change. You can minimize actually the impact of the triggers just by accepting that and not fighting reality. So that's a, that's a little mindset trick right there as well. It's like learning to accept the reality of life and not fighting it. Because the only thing that will make a trigger worse is if you fight that trigger or you start spiraling mentally. So you, you, you feel the trigger, you get triggered and maybe you get this, this, the panic attack and it's starting to come on. You can't necessarily control all of that, right? But what you can control is after the initial trigger, you can control your response to it. And what a lot of people's response to a trigger is, is more negative thoughts. Oh my God, this is so bad. My life, like everything's going to be bad. Everybody's looking at me. I'm going to be embarrassed in front of everybody, but like blah, 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 blah. All this stuff is just going to be, or what a lot of people do automatically without being aware of it is make that choice to go down that negative path. And I said choice for a reason, because if you become aware of that pattern, you can make the choice to change it. So become aware of how triggers affect you. If you are triggered, let's say a car door slams, the car door slams. And then I want you to be aware of in your body, what happens? Maybe your heart's like your chest tightens up. Your heart starts racing a little bit faster. And then I want you to be aware. Of, so I want you to be aware of what's in, going on in your body and what's going on in your mind. And then be aware of what are the thoughts that I'm having? Where do my thoughts habitually go? Because the sooner you can catch the trail of negative thoughts after a trigger, the sooner you can cut off that whole trail of negative thoughts. And the earlier and earlier you catch it, the more and more negative thoughts you can cut off. So then step one, like everything is awareness. You want to be aware of how, like aware of the trigger one and aware of how the trigger actually affects you in your body, in your mind. And then step three is actually taking conscious control and, and choosing a different path mentally, but then also physically as well. So there's two parts to kind of managing the trigger. There's the mental game, the inner game, and then also actions that you can take with your body to calm down your body, right? So mentally you want to have positive thoughts. You want to, I mean, like an easy one in, in the moment is to invert whatever negative thought you have to the positive. Or what I like is just telling myself, it's okay. This isn't going to be forever. Yes. I'm having this panic attack, but it's all right. I can calm down. And then I just kind of talk myself through it. I, I, I basically the way that I, I envision it is like, if you could imagine somebody else experiencing that trigger, what, what are the things you would say to them to help calm them down? So you're basically gaining some separation and some awareness of yourself. So you can start seeing yourself as another person from like a third person view. So if you imagine yourself viewing yourself from a third person view, you get, you're able to get some more perspective on yourself. And then you're able to speak to yourself as if you were another person in a more grounded place consciously, which is like, that's a weird concept to kind of explain <laughs> over audio, but just imagine that your consciousness is separate from your, your, your logical mind and your body. And then you're able to see how your mind is working. So the thoughts that are going through your mind, you're able to see your thoughts. And you're able to see and be aware of how things that are going on in your body, you're aware of how the trigger is affecting your body, how the trigger is affecting your thoughts, but you're separate from them and you're watching it happening, right? So you are the observer of your thoughts. You are the observer of your body. And from that observer point of view, that third person point of view, 
you were able to influence your thoughts more. You were able to influence your body more, take control of those, those processes and start to change them. So again, from that perspective, what I want you to think about is like, what are the things you would say to somebody else who's panicking? It's okay. Slow down. We're going to be all right. Things are okay. So you kind of just talk yourself through it from that separate point of view. So that's, that's what you do on kind of like a mental plane on a physical plane. There's two things that I, I want to teach you two simple tools. And then you'll probably be like, Brad, like you basically told me things, these things were crap. This is what therapy therapist taught us. And that it's worthless. It's like, yes and no. Okay. Whatever. But the first thing being the butterfly hug. Now, if you're watching me, you'll be able to see this. If you are listening on audio, um, I will give you directions, but basically all the butterfly hug is, is you crossing your arms over your chest and tapping left and right, alternating your, your tapping on your body, on your chest, underneath your collarbones, left and right, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So you're just tapping back and forth right underneath your collarbone with your arms crossed across your chest. Um, that's the butterfly hug. What that does is it stimulates. I always get the stimulate and simulate mixed up. It stimulates the left and right side of your brain from stimulating the left and right side of your body, which simulates the REM sleep cycle. And the REM sleep cycle is where your brain processes events from the day. So when you are sleeping, there are different sleep stages. One of the sleep stages is called the rapid eye movement stage. And in that stage, your eyes are rapidly moving really fast, like left and right looking unbelievably fast. And during that, during that sleep stage is when you are dreaming. And it's also when your, your brain is, your brain is reconciling and processing the information that is in its backlog, right? So all of the things that are in its backlog, things from that day, but also, you know, it could be traumas. And that's why people have nightmares. It's like your brain is trying to process this thing at night, but it's just too much, right? It just can't handle it. So it has the nightmare and then you wake up and it's just too much. So what you're doing when you're doing the butterfly hug and you're tapping underneath your coll collarbones left and right is you are simulating that REM sleep cycle process. So you're basically manually going with your body by tapping, helping and aiding your brain to process the trigger or the emotions that you are currently experiencing in the present moment, right? So it's helping you process, calm down, relax in the present moment by helping your brain work through those emotions. That's basically what it does. Um, it sounds kooky. It sounds crazy. I thought it was insane, but then I was like, I'm in so much pain. I'm just going to try this thing. And I tried it and it was unbelievable. <laughs> it's like crazy. Uh, so all I have to say is try it. You know, if you think it's crazy, if you think I'm a, I'm a quack and I'm a wacko, it's like whatever, but like, Hey, <laughs> Hey, it works. Give it a try. Um, so butterfly, I guess one thing you can do with your physical body to calm your physical body down. Right. Another thing is deep breathing. So while you're doing the butterfly hug, taking, inhaling, taking a deep breath, inhaling as deep as you possibly can, filling your lungs, holding it for a few seconds, and then releasing it slowly. That's it. You don't have to do any crazy counting or anything like that. You fill your lungs up as much as you can. You hold it for a few seconds, and then you release. And while you're doing the deep breathing, you're tapping, you're tapping your body. And in your mind, you're kind of, you're, you're talking yourself through through the emotions, just you're gaining that perspective and you're talking yourself through, uh, the emotions and things like that. Now that is a set of tools, short-term tools, right? Management tools, management tools, which are good, 
Like you still want management tools in your toolbox so that you're able to have control, more control over your situation. But it's also important to know that these are management tools and not healing tools. They're very different. They are very helpful in certain scenarios. They help you manage your triggers, but they will not fully heal you. So that's an important thing. It's like they have their place. They have their time in healing and in recovery. They help you manage your symptoms, which is very good. So you don't go crazy and you go spiral out of control. So you're able to manage things a lot better, but they will not heal you. So it doesn't mean they're worthless. They have their role in the process. It's just important to know what the role is. So you don't overemphasize the importance of these coping or management skills because you need more than just coping or management skills. But I want this. I want the combination of gaining separation from your mind, talking yourself through it as if you were talking to somebody else through it, doing the butterfly hug and doing the deep breathing as your go-to relief tool for any trigger, whether it's panic attacks, anxiety attacks, whatever it is throughout the day. When you do the deep breathing combined with the butterfly hug, tapping underneath the collarbones and then talking yourself through it or saying positive thoughts to yourself. That needs to be your go-to plan um, no matter what, because it's simple. There are other tools that you can use. This is the simplest, the easiest, the most powerful one that can be used anytime, anywhere. It's like, you don't need hours to do something. You don't need guided meditation. You don't need anything else. It's like, you have your body, you have your mind. Just do these things and you will calm calm down and you will gain control over the situation. Now, if you don't want to do the butterfly hug by crossing your arms over your chest, you can tap the top of your legs or you can close your eyes and you can move your eyes left and right. The important part is stimulating the left and right side of your body. And uh, again, for those who think it's crazy, there's actually been quite a few research studies on this and it's the basis of EMDR therapy, which again, there have been loads and loads of research studies on. Um, It works. It works. Use it. All right. So that was stage two. Stage one was getting your mindset right. Believing that it's possible to actually fully heal. Stage two, step two was getting a short-term game plan in place. So minimizing the triggers that you have, and then also learning a simple management tool, coping skill, which I talked about with the butterfly hook, deep, deep breathing, and then taking control of your thoughts. So you have the inner game, you have your inner game on and your outer game, your body, whatever you're managing your inner game and you're managing your body, right? Now, long-term, what do you do? You have to identify the root of why you're having these panic attacks in the first place. And why is my favorite question. Why will get you down to the root? Now, there's a tool in our program that we developed. It, uh, we, we developed it, but we call it introspective healing. But basically, it's just a, a logical way to think through your problems, identify the root, and solve the problem. And solve it, right? So identify the problem, the root of the problem, and solve it. Now, one great way to identify the root of a problem is using a technique that I did not invent called the five whys. Now the five whys is a very simple tool. You take whatever problem that you're experiencing right now and you ask why five times or as many times as you need. So what does this look like? Well, so you have panic attacks. You can ask yourself, why did I have panic attacks? And you could be like, because Billy, Billy rushed into this door and jump scared me for no reason. So Billy, Billy's the reason why I had this panic attack. And I was like, well, well, why did Billy running in here have that effect on me? It's like, well, because it, you know, makes me, I don't know, reminds me of this, this time where X and X happened. And then why did that happen? And then 
so on and so on and so on until you get to a point where you get this aha moment where you connect the present reality to the root cause. And it really is an aha moment. When you ask why and you dig deeper in question it and question it and question it and question it, you get down to the root of it. You get this aha moment and you have this connection where you're like, oh my God, what I am experiencing right now, this emotion has nothing to really do with the present. Really? Like the, really what it has to do with is this past event or events in my life are manifesting in the present moment because they are unprocessed because they, they have these raw unprocessed emotions that are now being re-experienced in the present moment so that there was this stimulus in the present that triggered these past emotions. And that's really what a trigger is, is the past becoming present through emotions and beliefs. And those are the two core components of processing the two first principles, the first things, the fundamental things that you need to change when it comes to processing emotions and beliefs. Every single processing tool that you will ever use, whether it's EMDR, whether it's IFS, whether it's all the tools that we teach in our program, no matter what tool that works, if it's prolonged exposure therapy, whatever it is, the reason why those things work, the reason why all successful therapies work is because they do two things. All of them have these two things in common. They help you change a core fundamental belief on a logical level, and they help you release emotions from the body on an emotional level. So there's the logical part of healing and the emotional part of healing. Now, where some people get hung up is that they only focus on one or the other. They only focus on the logical part of healing and they ignore the emotions because some people are better at the logic than the emotions. So they focus on what they're good at, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. So they, they work on challenging their beliefs. They go to CBT, whatever it is, and they change their beliefs and they, they see a lot of change, but maybe they are still struggling because they're not able to access and release the emotions along with that belief change. So with that, we have to ask, how do we do that on a fundamental level? First of all, it's important for you to know that like that is the foundation at a fundamental level. It's like, if you want to heal a trauma, you need to identify the root of it, change a core belief and release the emotions around it. And there's different ways to do that. And there's different things that support the beliefs. Like there are certain memories that strengthen a belief. So like there's, it, there's, there's like more components to it. But at a core fundamental level, those are the two things. And I'll dive into each one. So for the belief change, the logical journey that you need to go on, you need to identify negative core beliefs, right? A simple way to do this is to ask yourself, what, what do I believe that's causing me to feel this way? Right? So I'm having these panic attacks. What do I believe will happen? Like, why am I having these panic attacks? And it could, it could be like, like, I think it might, I might even be like, I think I'm going to die. Right. Or it's like, when I hear a loud noise, I think X, Y, and Z is going to happen. The important part is to identify a phrase that accurately depicts the emotion, the pain, the trauma that you're experiencing. So basically what we want to do is we want to take that emotion and we want to represent it into a singular belief. So that when you say that belief, it actually 
amplifies that emotion. You know, you have the belief right when you say that belief and I like trigger isn't the right word. Cause it's not like a, a huge spike in emotion, but it causes that emotion to come up in a manageable way, but it like spikes it. It spikes the emotion. And we want that spike of negative emotion to come up when you say that negative belief, because that means you've accurately described the emotion. If you have a belief and it's not spiking a negative, negative emotion, it's not resonating with you emotionally, then it's the wrong belief. Then it's not the belief that's accurately, it doesn't accurately depict how you feel. Because if you could take how you felt, right, which is an amorphous, you know, abstract thing, feelings are abstract, like there's, there's nothing really to it. And basically what we're doing when we're trying to identify a belief is take this emotion and distill it down into language, into words in the most accurate way, right? And come up with a belief that tells us why we feel that specific emotion, right? So coming up with a belief for why we feel that emotion. And once we identify that belief, what we can do is we can start to challenge it. We start to identify the reasons why we believe that belief we challenge those beliefs or those, those reasons or those references for why that support that belief. We challenge them. We question them. We break them. We break every single reason for why we believe that belief. And then we move on to creating a new, more empowering belief that will give you the outcome that you want. So you can ask yourself, how do I want to feel in this scenario? So right now I have a panic attack. How do I want to feel? Well, I want to feel calm. I want to feel at peace when this happens. I want to laugh. I want to be able to laugh. So you, you identify the goal outcome that you want to have. And then you ask yourself, what, is, what do I need to believe in order to have to experience this goal outcome? So what, do I need to, what belief do I need to build within myself to then feel at peace, to feel calm in this current situation or in this triggering situation? And then from there, you come up with a positive belief and you do the exact opposite thing. You install it and you add references and you add reasons for why it's true. And this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Then you take this new belief that you built and you write it down twice daily, write it down at night, write it down in the morning, add it to your list. And then you do that over time. And this is like the simplest form. There are more tools there. Like this goes, this, this can go deeper and deeper and deeper, but I'm giving you the fundamentals to actual processing here, which is a change of belief and a release of emotions and some simple steps to get started. But if you can do this and you really do it and you actually take action on it, it'll transform your life. Like this is the stuff that I help people with and people who pay thousands of dollars to help coach with me. It's like, take it serious. <laughs> like it, it really, it really works. And obviously like it's easy to say it's harder to do. Like it takes time. Like hard doesn't mean impossible. Hard just means you have to sit down and you have to do some work. Like you can't expect to, to heal PTSD just by listening to a podcast or whatever else. It takes real work. Like, again, I'll reference the, the last podcast that I did, Jason Saleo, who healed 40 years of CPTSD in 30 days. How was he able to do that? He was able to do that because we taught him the processing tools and then he spent 10 hours a day for 30 days straight processing. He put in the work. That's why people heal. They put in the work. And that's another thing to be honest with yourself. Am I really putting the work in or am I just kind of coasting? How many hours per week are, am I putting into my recovery? That's actual diligent focused work because that's what it takes. Or you can follow the traditional path, go to therapy once a week and hope that things get better. 
for some, it might for more milder problems. It might, but like when we're talking about PTSD or CPTSD or things that are like very, very extreme, it takes more than that. It just does. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a failing model. But anyway, going back to the belief change, you want to identify the core root negative belief. You want to question it. You want to challenge it. You want to break every single reason, every single reference that supports it. And you want to identify a new positive belief. They'll give you the goal outcome that you want to feel and install it by adding more references, by adding reasons to why it is true and building it up so that that new belief is unbreakable and you, you have full conviction in it. Right? So that's the logical journey. The emotional journey happens while you are doing the logical journey. So they, these happen in tandem to one another. Now, that's not a hard, fast rule. It's not like that 100% of the time. Sometimes you are doing only logical work. Sometimes you are only laying down, allowing yourself to feel emotions because you, you just have so many pent-up emotions. But overall, they happen in tandem. They happen together. So as you are changing, if I go with this very simple processing framework that I'm teaching you now, if you are identifying negative core belief and identify the positive belief you want to change it to, as you are breaking that negative belief and building the positive belief, emotions will be felt in your body. Emotions will come up in your body. And when those emotions come up in your body, you do, do not want to shove them down. You want to allow yourself to release those emotions. So as you are changing that belief, as you are challenging this false belief in your mind, emotions might come up. It might be relief. It might be like your body might shake. Your body might twitch. You might cry. You might need to scream into a pillow. Whatever it is, the goal is to allow yourself to feel those authentically and to release those emotions. And that, yes, is a required part of healing and recovery. Those are the two required pieces releasing emotions and changing a core fundamental belief. So many people have a hard time releasing emotions. Like me, I had a very, very hard time releasing my emotions mainly because I never released my emotions my entire life. <laughs> like I was in, I, I shoved all my emotions down forever. And then it just built up and built up and built up to a point where I knew that the only way that I was going to heal or get better was to start dealing with these emotions. So I started taking some sessions to myself. I started just, you know, going to the park by myself, being alone and started relaxing my body. And I started experimenting with, you know, trying to relax, you know, the emotion in my body, the tension in my body and seeing what happened. And then telling myself, it's okay to feel you're allowed to feel. I want you to feel whatever you need to feel. That's the self-talk, the things that would go through my head as I worked on releasing these emotions and developing that skill of releasing emotions as well. So that's what I would say to you is take that time. If you are bad with releasing emotions, take that time, find a quiet place, whether it's in your car, whether it's at home before bed, whatever it is, find a place where you can be alone, relax, allow those emotions to come out and learn how to release them in a safe way. Now it's an important caveat to know that you are in control of this process. You are not triggering yourself. You are not forcing yourself into these harmful emotional situations. You are allowing these emotions to come out. You are allowing. The emotion is not forcing itself out. You are not triggered. You are not panicking. It is a fully controlled process that you are allowing to happen. It's a really important thing. It's not a scary thing. Um, and it doesn't have to happen all at once. You can release it like a little bit at a time and you can get used to the overall process of releasing emotions and things like that. But 
at a fundamental level on a long, if we're talking about the third step here, the long-term plan, what I want you to do is really start identifying the root or the core negative beliefs that you hold that are causing the negative emotions that you're experiencing right now, or that are causing the, the, the problems that you're feeling right now. Start to challenge those negative beliefs, identify positive beliefs, work on changing them over. And then work on the skill of releasing emotions. And that also combined with, I would also want to learn other tools because that is just right there. That is just a very simple tool. It's a very simple processing tool. It is an effective tool. If it is done, if it's actually done, it is unbelievably powerful. Uh, Like if you actually take action on it, it's unbelievably powerful. And the important thing about it too, is that you now know the fundamentals to processing so that no matter what processing tool you use in the future, like if you decide to join our program and you, you use those processing tools, you now, you now know the fundamentals to then apply to every other processing tool in the future. So when you go to use a processing tool, you need, you need to know, or you you know, now that you need to find a belief, change that belief and also release emotions. So for example, maybe I, it would take too long to explain that example, but processing tools can, are, can, can approach this problem in different way or can accomplish releasing emotions and changing beliefs in different ways. Sometimes it's very straightforward. Like I just taught you here today. Sometimes it's more abstract, but with this foundation, you can apply it to so many different things. And then you start experimenting with different things. And I hope to do more podcasts on different things like that as well. Um, now I will do a recap here. So I talked about what to do with panic attacks, anxiety attacks, hypervigilance, whatever. Number one is to believe, right? To get your mindset sharp, to believe that it's possible to get rid of these. Number two, develop a short-term game plan, which would be to minimize the triggers and also have the, uh, a game plan to relief, relieve or manage those triggers. And I talked about controlling your thoughts, talking to yourself through it as if you were talking to somebody else, doing the butterfly hug and deep breathing. If you just take that away alone for this episode, that'd be a massive win. And then long-term plan would be to identify the root beliefs, changing them to a positive belief, installing and reinforcing that positive belief over time. And then also working on the skill of releasing emotions. If you enjoyed this episode, drop a like, subscribe. And if you want to learn more about how I can help you, if you want to help going through this entire process, you can click the link in the description, schedule a call with me. But that's it. Thank you guys so much for showing up. You guys are crushing it. And uh, I just really appreciate you for tuning in. Let me know if it's valuable. Um, the rating would be helpful to me to give me some feedback on how the podcasts are doing. And you can even say, Hey, the podcast is great. I would love to hear an episode on this or whatever in the ratings, but no pressure whatsoever. I hope you have a wonderful day and I will see you in the next one. <laughs> <laughs>